This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. The easiest way to collect rent? RentApp. RentApp is a seamless, secure, free payment tool for small rental property owners like you and me. Built by a team of fintech veterans behind Square and Cash App, RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit rent directly into your account. Landlords love RentApp for its unbeatable convenience. Isn't it time you made rent collection easier? RentApp, the free and easy way to collect rent. Learn more at rent.app landlord. That's rent.app landlord. This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 266. Gino always says this, you have to have sort of the same goals and the same outlook in mind. Like, you know, he always goes and says, like, if we wanted to fix and flip, but you want to do multifamily, that's not going to work, right? Because you guys, one guy's going to want to sell, one guy's going to want to hold. So I think it's, it's getting down and saying, what are your goals? What are you trying to achieve? And making sure your goals are aligned. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everybody? This is Scott Trench here with my co-host, Mr. Brandon Turner. Brandon, how you doing? You totally royally screwed that up. It's oh, I did. Host of the Bigger Pockets podcast here with my co-host. Mr. Brandon Turner. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? You, you are, where are you located right now? Uh, I am in uh, a bedroom over and uh, yeah, it's pretty good. It's, it's kind of dark in here. Sorry. Oh, weather weather <laughs> looks terrible. <laughs> are you trying to get me to say Hawaii? Yeah, the last, yeah I'm uh, trying to get you to say Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, people should know. Yeah, I'm, I'm spending some time here in Hawaii this winter and maybe I won't leave. I don't know. We'll see. But it's so been good. Know. I went surfing yesterday. Brandon has semi moved to Hawaii and spends I, his days. I have, I have not moved to Hawaii because Hawaii has a state income tax. So I am visiting for a few months and then I will be back in Washington where there is no state income tax. And maybe someday down the road, I will decide to move to Hawaii. And just pay the income tax. Pay the crazy income tax. Crazy uh, Hawaii. Anyway. Hard, hard life. It's a hard knock life. Uh, so uh, today's show is really a lot of fun. We have Jake and Gino back on the show who they've been on before. It was an amazing episode last time. And I would say it's even better this time. Super fun. Uh, we covered both like high level and like beginner stuff. Talking about partnerships, talking about 1031 exchanges, talking about multifamily, building ancillary. Am I using that word right? Uh, ancillary. Ancillary. 
Oh, I, I butchered it. Whatever. Uh, anyway, it's Larry a couple times in the show though. You know what? Uh, you know, we don't speak English well, so it's been, a, it was a good show though. So listen up and now uh, let's hear from today's quick, quick tip. All right. Today's quick tip is go and learn about what kind of loans you're going to need after you've used your first few conventional loans uh, in your real estate portfolio. Today's discussion with Jake and Gina, we talk a lot about kind of advanced commercial loans that have different terms than what you're used to hearing about with a fixed 30-year, fixed 15-year term at a low interest rate. Go out and kind of just study that and kind of understand, hey, what is a balloon payment? What What does the amortization period mean? What does the term mean? What are the kind of other factors that will be influencing your financing decisions as you scale past your first few properties and go down the line? Very good. You know what? That'd be a really good blog post to come out on Thursday at the same time as a podcast but written by Scott Trench. Wouldn't that be a good post? Oh, no. I, I, see, I'm still learning <laughs> about this stuff. So I, I, I asked a bunch of questions as I was trying to learn about this stuff. So I'm not the person to write that, uh, but oh. <laughs> definitely I know enough to converse with Jake and Gino here, but you're nice, going to want nice. to be able to do that as well uh, as you build your portfolio. Nice. Well, here's a quick second quick tip for you. I'm just trying to bait you into forcing you to write an article. It didn't work. <laughs> but uh, no, if you guys go to the search bar, if you're on bigger pockets in the navigation bar at the top, there's a little like uh, magnifying glass. Click that. Like our search has been totally revamped over the past few months and it's really, really good. Like you can find like anything on the side. Just search something like uh, balloon payment, right? Type it in there and then it gives you into categories. You can search all bigger pockets or just the podcast, just the blog, just the forums. And it's really, really, really helpful. I use it every single day. So there's a second quick tip. Awesome. All right. Well, let's, uh, I think we should probably just get to the show unless we got anything else to cover. Maybe I, I will say this because I haven't said it in a while, probably like last week. If you have not yet left us a rating or review for the show, please do so. Uh, it really, really helps us. And yeah, you know, tell your friends. So with that, uh, let's bring in Jake and Gino. Uh, Jake and Gino are two real estate investors. They're partners. They've done massively cool stuff. Gino, you'll hear about their story later on and they go into the story. But uh, anyway, they've invested in multifamily. I think they've said 900 doors now they have, uh, 900 yep. units. And I've only been doing this for like five years. So they've really scaled up, uh, built a really, really awesome business that involves never selling. And we get into that conversation later. Make sure you guys stick around for that because it is a fascinating uh, topic. Uh, so without further ado, let's get to the interview. All right, Mr. Jake and Gino, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast again. How are you guys doing? Good. Doing really, really good, man. Really happy to be here. Eh, good, good. We're happy to have you. This should be a lot of fun today. Uh, can you guys, for those who didn't listen to your last episode, can you guys give us a, just a, a quick rundown? Who are you each? How did you get into real estate? We'll keep this a few minutes and, and they can go back and listen if they want the full story. But tell us about yourself. You want me to get into it? I'll get into it. So uh, we're just a couple, a couple of dudes. I was a pharmaceutical rep. Gino was a restaurant owner. We met through Gino's brother. I used to you know, hit up Yankee games and, and hang out with Gino's brother. I ended up moving to Tennessee for a, a better cost of living. Uh, you know, a lot of guys were saying, dude, you got to get into real estate, blah, blah, blah. So I ended up moving to Tennessee. You know, was getting a lot of rejection. People were telling me, you can't do this. They would say, y'all are crazy, you know, basically in that, you know, whatever. So, but it was, no, some really cool folks. So we, you know, bashed our head against the wall for about 18 months trying to get into a deal. You know, we ended up getting to the 25 unit crack den. The 25 unit crack den turned into 850 units, which we're closing on another 50. We're going to 900 here in a minute. And, wow. you know. So we, we, we blew it up pretty quick. In, he in fast forwarded that really fast. Well, he said we saw the We don't need to go through it again, right? It wasn't that easy. It's the G-Daddy here. <laughs> no, I said, clap my fingers, let's go. We bought a couple of apartments, and now we just sit at home and talk to you guys. It was That's a, awesome. What a, what a lot of life. more challenging than that. But um, I'll tell you one thing. It's one of, one of the best five years of my life because I was, you know, I downsized from my restaurant. I had one small restaurant, right? So the paradigm, guys, is to think 
watch your words. My mom would always say to me, we have to stay small, small this, small that. And to go to buy a 25 unit property for me was really huge. First one was really huge, but I knew that I wanted to get out of the restaurant ultimately. So it took me about three years to do that. March of 2016 was my D-Day when I decided to hang it up and say goodbye. We had about 650 units. I took him about two years to do it. And that was our ultimate goal. So anybody listening to it, you know, think with the end in mind. Think, you know, when you first start out, why am I doing this? Do I want to make a few extra bucks? Do I want to go live in Hawaii? I actually moved to St. Augustine six months ago. That's what I wanted to do. I moved down to Florida because of the quality of living, the cost of living. I have six children. So I wanted to be with them all the time, go to the beach all the time. Um, I thought the cost of living would be less, but when you want to live on the ocean, it's not. But you know what? Fortunately for me, I kept buying. We refied over 7 million bucks. We've got a lot of money, but we refied the money, keep putting in, keep buying more property, and you just keep seeing the vision. You keep painting a picture because we always think in pictures, right? So think of the picture. I was thinking of myself in the ocean, getting up at 7 o'clock in the morning, doing my miracle morning, doing my savers out there, and that's what pushed me through it. So have a picture of mine, know what you want to do, focus on it, and you can do it. Whether it's multifamily, single family, whatever it is, just keep focusing on it. Real quick too, I just want to throw this out there because last time we were on the show, we had a tree fall on one of our properties. We talked about it, we cut it up, we sent you a video. We do have a little bit of an issue today. If you hear a little bit of grinding in the background, we apologize. We got the tree guys out here today. We got about another acre at my house that we're clearing (laughs) out. So we'll warn you, we're sorry, but it should be okay. So we'll, we'll carry on with this. Nice, nice. I don't, I don't mind that. I don't mind. Real quick, before we jump into more, you mentioned Miracle Morning uh, and, and Savers. For those people who haven't listened to that, we, we you know, had Hal Elrod on the show a while back, but if you haven't listened to that episode, can you explain what is, what is Miracle Morning and what has that been like for you and kind of walk through that a little bit? Oh, well, for me, it was great. I had Cameron Harold on our podcast, so I love that whole, that whole thing. Basically, it's called the Savers. It's the acronym. Now, I don't remember what it is. It's uh, spiritual. I forget what the acronym is, but what I do, I try to spend about 45 minutes to an hour every morning. And guys, the morning time is the best for me because it's the time when I get up in the morning for myself, whether it's five o'clock, six o'clock, seven o'clock, there's nobody up in the morning. So I like to do a little scribing. I like to go take at least a 30 to 45 minute walk on the ocean. That's my goal to get on the beach every single day. And I didn't do it this morning because I got up three o'clock to come here to see this guy. But try to do that. You try to clear your mind. You try to really actually start your day, whether it's meditation. I like to pray a little bit in the morning. I like to really get myself prepared for the day. Like really think about what my day is, really plan my day. Try to show some gratitude throughout the day. Just say, be thankful when you first get out of bed and say, hey, listen, let me start the day off right. Let me plan my day. Let me see what's going on. And it's like a routine. You try to create those really good habits in your life. And what I see is in the morning, I like to do a lot of writing in the morning. I like to get the stuff that, you know, is heavy lifting in the morning. Because as the day wears on, you start losing that momentum, that motivation. And as the day wears on, it's happened to me. So I like to get my stuff uh, done in the morning. But what if you're not a morning person like me? I don't well, like that's an excuse though. But you know what you do though? It's all really my shit. What's define morning person? What, what you like what what is uh what time do you normally like to get up at? Seven. Seven's not well, I, I get up at seven, so I mean seven o'clock, get up at six forty five. Seven, just just try to chunk out forty five minutes in the morning. Try to work out in the morning. Trying to work out in the morning or walking or exercising is probably a great thing because it gets you going. Eat something a little healthy. Take five or ten minutes to scribe throughout the day, get your thoughts going and try to plan your day in the morning. That that's that's what time, time do you go to bed? Ten or eleven. If you went to bed at like 9.30, would that change your life in a, in a big way? Are you missing out on something? 
No, but I just get up. I'd go to bed earlier and get up earlier is the way I kind of think about it. Yeah. No doubt. So, so then you get up, you go to a little bed a little earlier, you get up a little earlier and now you're half hour, 45 minutes ahead of all your employees or whoever you're managing or whoever's on your team, right? You're sending stuff out to them. You're getting your day prepared, cleaned up. You're, you're ahead. You're basically starting ahead of everyone else. So then some, some stuff starts good and over to you, you're able to get further ahead. For me, I'm up about six o'clock. I'm you know firing off emails, making sure all my ducks in a row, getting any admin out of the way because I hate admin. I get it out of the way first thing in the morning and then I'm out, you know, doing things, trying to grow the business. So for me, it just gives me, I feel like a competitive advantage and, and it seems to work. So, you know, for me, the whole, the whole morning thing, like the miracle morning movement and all that, like for me, it's, it's more about proactive living than it is about a time, right? It's about saying, I'm going to take a dedicated time in the morning to work on myself and to say, you know, I'm going to define how my day is going to go. I'm not going to live reactively to what comes my way. Uh, but also in addition to that, I'm just so much more productive in the morning, right? So like morning, uh, an hour of work in the morning for me is like the equivalent of four hours of work at 11 o'clock. Yeah. I don't know if you guys noticed that as well, but I'm so much more productive because there's nobody else up, nobody else around. Nobody's emailing me, calling me, bugging for my time. Mm-hmm. Plus, plus your brain isn't totally with it. So if there's something you really hate to do, like you got to fill out a Freddie Mac contract or something <laughs> like that, right? Do it first thing because your brain isn't, you can plow through that shit and it's like, I didn't, I didn't even happen, right? Yeah. The other thing is I got a, uh, I got, I got the TB12 method, all right? I, I, uh, I stole a little bit from Tom Brady here. I'm getting the electrolytes in the morning first off, staying nice and hydrated and then doing the brain games every other day. I go from the headspace brain to the games. Brain. What are brain games? What are you talking about? Dude, brain games, Lumosity, man. It's, uh, it's, it's like 15 minutes, but it's like uh, cognitive training. So your brain's functioning properly. It's like exercise for your brain. So you go on, just keeps the brain fresh. I do that one day. The next day I do uh, Headspace, which is like a, it's a little meditation uh, yep. on your thing. So I'm hitting and alternating. I don't know if it does anything. It makes me feel good and I enjoy it. So why not, right? Yeah, there you go. Hey, one, last, one last note on the waking up thing. What, what, just a, an app that works really well for me. There's an app called Alarmy. Have you guys heard that? Mm-hmm. Uh, so alarm is fantastic. So it's, it, it's an app where it wakes you up like an alarm, right? Except for it makes you do, you can choose what you want, what you want it to make you do in the morning. For example, I have it give me three math problems I have to solve when I wake up in order for the alarm to turn off. So I'm like 19 plus 85 plus 62. Uh, and by the time you're done with three simple math problems, I'm awake. Another one, you can go make it. It'll make you take a picture of something in your house. Like it, you line up just perfectly take the picture. So it might be your coffee pot or whatever. Anyway, that I find is like the best alarm I've ever had in my life. Cause like you have no option. The but brain to, games yeah. is similar. It's got like uh, division and mathematics problems nice. falling from the sky and you have to hit it before the raindrop explodes in the water. Oh, nice. Not like yeah. Exploding, but. yeah. Just getting your, getting your head working a little bit in the morning, like by, totally. and, and uh, yeah, anyway. Okay. So it sounds like a I, terrible morning, but I'll have to think about it. <laughs> try, try it. It's, it's good. Mo- moving, anyway. on, moving on to real estate and, and business, though, I think what we'd really love to hear about Dude, this- it is real estate and business, man. It all starts up front. <laughs> all right, up here, man. 90% is in your head, right? All right, we'll move this <laughs> You know, we talked about last time about you guys building this real estate portfolio. I think that it would be awesome to hear about how you use the process of building this real estate portfolio to create ancillary businesses that were related to real estate and produce uh, kind of additional income streams. Do you think does that sound like a good? Yeah, let me. I'll go with this and you go. So, so it all starts up front. You know, you talked about systems and process. So, our framework is buy right, manage right, finance right, and we basically realize that multifamily investing is a three-legged stool. If you buy the thing right, you don't overpay. You can do well there. The management is very important. We reposition these things, and then we look for a minimum of three percent rent growth year over year. Okay, we hope to get more. We don't want to really get less. And then financing right. You know, I think one of the biggest issues is interest rate risk. Right. 
if we can get out there to 35 year fixed HUD loan, great, minimum of 10 years, we want non-recourse financing. So we want it off our balance sheets. We use community banks, we love community banks. We try to get them you know, sometimes with a community bank and refinance it out, take the money and get it off to, to non-recourse. So that's kind of that's like the broader framework. But what we realized getting into this is I started managing the business, our first five, 25 unit deal. And we realized that it's, it's a big wheel, right? In the middle of it, you have your holding company. And then there's these spokes that are basically going off the holding company. We have, I think, 14 holding companies right now, 25 employees. But you can, you, know, you get that holding company place. You can start a management company if you want. That's another, you know, stream of revenue there. You can start a brokerage. We're actually looking at maybe this year we start a brokerage company, you know, just simply focus on multifamily assets. We can go, we could pay our brokers 3% for bringing us the deal. And then we have an offer. Hey, Mr. Owner, 3%, we buy it from you. You don't have to worry about it. If not, we'll sell it for you, right? So that's one option we're going we're looking at procurement down the road. Can we go get a huge, you know, box of our top 20 supplies from China and cut, you know, 50 to 75% from our supply costs? We're looking at, uh, you know, we got the education company. One thing we want to do this year is, is syndicate as well. You know, we bought yep. all our deals with all our own money. We're closing on, we're going to be a little over 900 units here in April. Uh, we actually read the deal, you know, that we're buying now this morning. You know, we're going to give it a shot. We don't know if we like it, but we say, why not? Let's give it a shot. We got a bunch of investors that we you know, are on our list right now. So, Let's see if we can add back and, and give value that way. So I think that, you know, if you're a contractor, if you're, if you're some guy that has built houses, if you have management experience and you're saying, I want to get in the game, well, look, multiple streams of revenue, right? You can, you can make money over here, you make money over here, you make money over here. Use it all, go all in on multifamily and, and, and forget the rest. People need a place to live. We're all in on multifamily. We don't do residential. We don't do, you know, commercial stuff. It's just multifamily homes. And, uh, and I think there's a lot of ways that you can make money off of that. It's also vertical integration. We control the whole process. The more of these businesses we control, we're not paying fees to people that we're hiring. Uh, the, main, the main contractors we use is a, is a painting and a flooring company. We try to handle all the other rest of the construction stuff in-house. And I think the important thing about that is a couple of things. I can relate it to other businesses, but what happens down the road, five years down the road, if you get sick of the HVAC company that you created, you can always sell it. You created an asset. It's got value. Mm, yeah. You can sell that. Same thing with a property management company. You can sell it. You can still maintain the asset. Let's relate this. this we, we call it multifamily, multifaceted multifamily. That's what we call it. But just take any other business that anybody's in right now. I was speaking to you guys about the restaurant that I used to own. I tried to do this. Unfortunately, my brother didn't want to do it. So if you have the brick and mortar store, which is dying, right? But it's still a nice nice viable option. People still have to go out and eat. Well, let's write a cookbook. There's one stream of revenue. Yep. Do some online training educations. There's another stream of revenue. Why don't you do some physical products? Maybe you want to sell some knives. There's another stream of revenue. Hey, how about some tomato sauce? There's another stream of revenue. So as entrepreneurs, find out what the market wants, try to supply it and try to expand that one stream because we're always locked down to one stream. But if you start thinking outside the box, all of a sudden you've got four or five streams that are feeding this one thing. And Jake likes to call it the snowball effect. All of a sudden that one little asset is starting to create a lot of multiple streams and that's how you become wealthy. Yeah. Well, let's, let's think about this for a second. So let's say that I'm a, a new investor and I've got two or three small residential properties, duplexes, triplexes, quads, two or three of those types of units. What mm -hmm. are some ways that I can start thinking outside the box to begin building the foundations for these ancillary businesses? What, what, what would you guys well, do? So, so number one, you're in the game. So congratulations. You took the first step. You got in the game. You already got three deals done. So you're, you're well on your way. And I think most of the time after people have gotten that one, two or three, they can go up to a five. They can go up to a 10. So I started in my own personal experience, I started managing. I was working full time. So I don't want to hear, I don't have the time. I can't get up early enough, all that stuff, right? You can just work a little harder. You got plenty of time throughout the day. Start managing it, right? Get a feel for it. See if you like it. If you totally hate it, you can go back and you know have someone else manage it for what, you. What was your job, by the way, when you were doing that? 
Uh, I was selling vaccines at the time. Okay. So the, the thing is, you guys have to re- understand, it's, it, he, ta- he's, he talks as if he's, everyone is built like him. He's a machine. Yeah. <laughs> the problem is that you, and we all have to figure out our whys. If you have a strong enough why, you'll figure out how. And it's just as simple as that. I had a strong enough why. I hated my restaurant, but it, it just got mm-hmm. to the point that I want to do something else. The two types of motivation. I was moving away from pain at the very beginning. I didn't want to be there anymore. That's a great motivator. I don't want you to do that for the rest of your life, but to kick yourself in the butt, do what he did to work that extra hour. I would have my mom again come and say to me, why are you working during lunch? I'm like, this is not work. I like to do this. This is moving me away from pain and going towards pleasure, which is a second type of motivation, which is why we're on this podcast because we love to do this stuff. So if you can get to that second type, you're going to be the Steve Jobs of the world. You're going to be the Bill Gates of the world. You love what you're doing and money is not the cause. It's the result. And that's when you start living a truly passionate life. And that's so spot on because people say, do what you love. It's all about finding what you love. You know what's awesome and what you really love is being successful. When you get good at something, you <laughs> no, let's not be a little bees. I love it. No, yeah. I, I, if you put the work and you start to get good at something, guess what? You're going to start liking it. I, I always yep. go back. I used to be a personal trainer when I got out of college because I thought I played football. Lifting weights was fun, right? These people were so damn unmotivated and they hated it. It made me not want to go to the gym anymore. So guess what? It wasn't that I was passionate about it. So now I have a gym right underneath this right now in the room we are in my house. It's awesome. I love it. I go downstairs and work out when I want to. I don't have to go and try to push people. So when you start to get good at something, put the time in, learn the ropes, start your own management if you want to. And then guess what? I get to work on our employees now. My employees are our customers. You know, we were talking about before the show a little bit. We're doing financial education for our employees this week because we know they need it. We're bringing in bankers. I, brought, I flew in the big G dad from Florida because he's, he's like, you know, Mr. Life Coach and <laughs> He's going to coach these guys on it, but we want our, we want our folks to be successful so they can reinvest in our business so they can start to invest in deals so they can grow a nest egg for retirement and start cash flowing not only on their job, but also outside of it as well. So now myself, I'm working on building businesses, not so much in the business. I will though. I, I will, you know, we, we hire an attitude and ethics and a blue collar work ethic. So, you know, if, if something needs to be done, I'll go and clean, you know, an office or something, whatever needs to be done. I don't mind doing it, but it's really working on, on the business and creating additional businesses and allowing people to move up through the business. My biggest thing that I'm, that I'm doing that I love is being able to take someone that's say an assistant manager and promote them to a manager or a regional manager or a maintenance manager and be able you know, move them within the company and better their lives. And, and people see it. If you, if you're a rock star in an organization, you don't stay in your seat for six months because you're moving up and we're buying something else. No, I love it. Fire me up today, man. I think it's fantastic (laughs) to have that passion and, and, and particularly to bring it to other people. I mean, that's what we do all day long at bigger pockets. Like my goal in life is to help as many people as possible achieve financial freedom because so that they can go and live out their purpose or seek that higher goal, move toward pleasure instead of away from pain as they get farther along. Oh, go ahead. You, One like other it. thing about that. It's like, you know, you, you, I'm a football fan. So everyone talks about like Andy Reid's coaching tree. Everyone knows Andy Reid's because he, he brings up rock stars and he promotes them and they go out and they're a coach. So listen, if my job is bring people up through the system, make their lives better. And now, now they're in my tree and they know if they need something, you know, Jake's there, he's going to take care of me. Like I've helped folks, even in the organization outside on personal things. It's, it's that kind of commitment to your employees. These are your customers, folks, whoever you're employing. Help these folks out, take care of them, and it's going to pay you back tenfold. Well, let's go back to uh, your your property management. You know, you talked about how that was the first thing that it sounds like you were you were serious about constructing as an ancillary business to yes. your real estate portfolio, and you got up and hustled and built it. Can you talk? Can you walk us through that process? How did you start that company? How did you scale it? I know it was it was extra work, and that fire was there that helped you do it. But what what specifically did you do to build that, and how that how that business grow? 
So it was, it was really painful. It was tough in the beginning because, you know, we had a lot of, uh, you know, like, like employees that were not the right fits. So the hardest thing was getting through those first few employees that are really bad. They're going to try and screw you that are not doing the right thing until you start to find there's good people out there. So the number one thing is you got to be willing to fire. We fire extremely quickly. Yeah. If it's not working out, sorry, we move on. We cut ties, right? Holding on to a bad employee for too long is going to be the worst thing that you can possibly do. So it's getting folks in there and then it's starting to create systems. We have all these different, and, and guys, I suck at this, right? I suck at HR. I suck at all this. But you know what I did? I actually went and we paid for one of our rock star employees to go through HR training to learn it because they're really good at it. I said, you know what? You love this stuff. Here you go. You know, it's, you own it now, right? Put them to the train, HR certified, all this. And, and now they're, you know, that put that person in the role so that when we're, we have policies on this is how we hire, this is how we fire and, uh, and different handbooks on, you know, how to run the company. I'm not the guy to write a handbook, but I can hire the people that are going to be good at it and, and start to develop the systems with a new organization. I think bad employees is the wrong word to use. Sometimes they're not bad employees. Sometimes they're, bad they're, they're, they're in the wrong seat. Yeah. There might be, there might even there be are, the there are shitheads out there yeah. that don't belong in the company. <laughs> well, let's start, let's start maybe like from the, from this angle, where, how did you attract your first customers that you could hire this person? Did you, did you self fund the business or how did you, how did you get into the business of attracting customers that you could hire these employees and begin to train them? Uh, real quick. That's what's the allure of multifamily. So you have a 25 unit property. If it's a single family home, it doesn't substantiate mm -hmm. it. So what you want to do is try to scale as quickly as possible. Cause that's, that's the allure of multifamily. You can actually create a business. So we bought 25 units in February of 2013, four months later in July, we had an additional 36 units that we closed on. That's 60 units within four months. And it's like, wow, I told mm -hmm. you the snowball effect because your first deal, right? Get into your first deal, no matter what it is, whether it's a three unit or a 30 unit. And I always tell people, it's hard, easy to hear people say, I'm not going to name the gurus. Oh, go big. Do it. No, go whatever you feel comfortable with because you want to be able to succeed in that position. You want to feel confident. And let me tell you something. The, the hardest thing that I figured out was you have a small problem, right? It might be a problem to you, but it might not even phase me in the least. When we had 25 units, mold was the biggest problem for us, right? Now that you have 900 units, you just had another mold problem. You grow into your problems and you outgrow your problems. That's why I have no problem with starting with smaller properties. Learn the ropes, make those mistakes. You feel comfortable. So when a tenant dies in your property, hey, it's, it's not the end of the world. It is the end of the world to them and not to us. Fortunately, well, it but, is the end of the world for that person. <laughs> but you know, you know what I'm saying? It's, like, <laughs> it's a big problem, but it's something that you've dealt with and something that you can overcome, right? I mean, you have a fire in a unit. He called me the last time. I mean, it was pretty devastating. The lady passed away in the unit. I mean, it's happened a couple times now. It's part of the business. You have to know what- You have what to have thick skin in the game. Really do. And that, yeah. But that only happens with experience. So if you're going to go and buy a 150 unit deal and try to take it down and it's your first deal, it's going to be a lot harder, I think, than if you start a little bit smaller, you get your feet wet, we like to do the whole management thing. We Start like to scale do and small, or scale quickly though. I mean, I think it's okay because it's all up here, right? If you can do like a five, 10 unit or something, you're going to realize, well, it's no different. It's just adding zeros onto it and more yep. employees. And that's why people always say it gets easier the bigger you get. You get yep. more people because you have people helping you now and you have people that are becoming experts in these spaces. So you want them to help your, your company grow and then you want to take care mm -hmm. of them in turn, like I said before. So I'm sorry, that's, Scott, that's, to, to go back to your point, the 25 unit, we had a resident manager on, uh, mm -hmm. He wasn't a great resident manager. We worked or with him. Or human being. Yeah. And then the 36-unit 36 guy was even worse. He was even worse. But you learn, right? And then the third deal, we scaled up to 136 units. So then all of a sudden, wow, we can get a couple leasing agents going on. We can hire a couple full-time maintenance guys. So within that first year, we were able to hire a pretty decent staff. And that's what really, I think, really helped us out.
to scale. Okay. And it was your plan for this business just to run your own properties or were you planning to take on additional management? No, uh, as part no of we just want to do our own properties. I mean, I think if, the, if it came down to the point that, Hey, listen, I wanted to get a, that's, that's a great question. Now, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm, I wanted to move to Jacksonville to actually expand the portfolio and start to manage another management company in Jacksonville. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. prices escalated. I didn't sell my house in time. I didn't get down here in time. So we were actually thinking of doing that to expand it, bring it to another market. Um, just the economies of scale and the ability for me to, I mean, generate more revenue for property management. And it's also the control. So when you're controlling the asset. It runs much more efficiently. You have hands-on and you're able to grow. So that's what we wanted to do, but it just it didn't work out. And, 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 and going back, I think, I think you're asking like, what was the goal in the beginning? You know, my goal was I didn't like the stock market. I didn't like this up and down. And, and I, you know, I frankly don't understand it really well. I just was like, this, this is not for me. This is not place to be. I want something that I can touch, you know, you know, solid asset. It sounded like a good idea. I had doctors that I was calling on coaching me on it. He's telling me it's a good idea. So I said, I just want yield. Give me a nice return. Then all of a sudden we get into it and we're like, holy shit, this, this like wipes your taxes out, right? Cost segregation is amazing. <laughs> Tenants are paying down the mortgage, uh, you know, and, and all these like ancillary benefits that came out of, oh, I started a property management business, right? You know, all these little things that, that start to pop out of them. Like this is, this is amazing. I feel, I feel like we are in the best business in the world. Because, you know, you can't, you can't go on and, and buy an apartment right now on Amazon. They can't ship it to you, you know, at your home or whatever you need. Everyone's going to need a play. This is a basic human need, right? You're controlling, you know, land. You're controlling where people live. I love it. I think we are in the best spot. It's not, I don't like fixing and flipping really because it's, it's a job. You, you burn out, then the thing is done. Poof, it's gone. I never plan on selling. My recommendation to people is hold on to these things for as long as you can if you want to build generational wealth. That's, that's, that's what we're in the process of doing. Awesome. awesome. I love it. Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high-quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do-not-call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. 
Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Pretty good little episode, right? While you were listening, you could have been getting paid rent with RentApp. Landlords love RentApp because it makes rent collection a breeze. RentApp uses ACH bank transfers to deposit funds directly into your account. Setup is straightforward for renters, and landlords don't need to download anything. Both have peace of mind with the digital transaction history. Isn't it time you made landlording a little easier? RentApp, the best way to pay or collect rent. Learn more at rent.app landlord. That's rent.app landlord. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Yeah. So I want to bring up one point you brought up a minute ago about uh, how when you first start, Everything that's a problem is such a problem. Like you said, the mold, right? I was thinking the first time I did an eviction, it was like an eviction, right? Like how many people have stopped investing in real estate? Like never got started, right? Because of some fear of like, oh, an eviction. I don't want to deal with that. But then guys like us are like, oh, another eviction. All right, whatever. Oh, fire, building burned down. Okay, just you know, like, so I want to encourage people listening to this. Like if there's some like fear that's stopping you right now from saying, you know, get into real estate because of whatever, eviction, mold, fires, whatever, like just know that there's guys that are just doing it and they hear about it while like driving on the freeway and then they illegally text to solve the problem and they move on. You know, I'm not saying you should text and drive, but like it's so passive to them. It's like, it's such not a big deal. These things that other people will go for lean in. What lean in, man. You scared of it in eviction, lean in, in. in. figure it out because once you understand it, it's the fear of the unknown. Lean in, figure it out, understand it. And all of a sudden, wow, this is not that big of a deal. I'm three yep. and zero right now as an attorney. This is, this is the thing. I went in, I didn't know I needed, you know, a, uh, some kind of lawyer's license or whatever the hell they're called to do evictions because we had an LLC, whatever the <laughs> hell that means, right? So I said, you know, in the beginning, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, I'm gonna do everything, right? I was the I'm a guy. So I went in, went into court a couple of times. I was three and zero. okay? I didn't have to go to school for this. But then all of a sudden, this, the judge said, son, are you an attorney? I said, no. He said, what are you doing here? I said, evicting this guy? He said, you need to be an attorney if you're an LLC. I said, oh, I'm sorry, your honor. <laughs> but you know what? I still won that one. He let it go through. And then I was three and I retired. So I went out on top, right? So Brandon, <laughs> to your point, I mean, if somebody wants to get in and they're afraid, maybe they go work for a property management company. Maybe they, they do the ropes. Maybe they see how it works. And maybe it's not that daunting. Maybe they work for a brokerage company and, and do a couple of these tasks and see, hey, wow, it's really not that hard. Yeah. It's the fear of the unknown. You know what? There's this thing out there. It's called Google. 
you can go on and type it in. You can literally figure out everything like that. It's amazing. You know, like I know I'm being a smart ass, but seriously, you just <laughs> lean in, figure it out. It's not, the fear is worse than the reality, right? So, and then that's why, I go, you know, we were joking a minute ago. I said, it's all up in your head, right? 90% of the game is one up here. Once you say, okay, I'm going to stop being afraid. I'm going to get past my fears. I'm going to lean in and figure this out. It's not that big of a deal. Oh, and guess what? I just built this awesome team around me or I'm working on it. And the team will help bear some of this as well. So we're, we're in it together and we're, we're trying to win. I think it's fantastic. And, and what you're doing is you're at, you're like, you, you keep saying it, lean in. You're embracing these problems. And more than that, where the really big problems come, where you just can't like beat it down with, uh, by solving it one and done, you build a company to solve it for you in perpetuity, mm-hmm. right? Like this management business. Here's the other thing. The minute someone calls you and says, hey, we have a problem, you have to squash that. Don't give me the lead up. Don't give me, oh my God, something's going on. Hit it right now because I'm telling you that five seconds of the unknown in your head is the worst thing ever. If one of my employees calls me and says, something happened, I, I literally flip my shit. I said, do not ever say that again. Just get right to the point and say, okay, guess what? We had a leak in this apartment or whatever. Okay, great. What'd you do? Well, we already fixed it. Oh, fantastic. All right, I got to go. See, like not really, but you know, you got to just stop with the lead ups, anything that's going to create stress or drama because I, I, you got to deflect it, right? You know, that stuff will kill your day. The, the, the unknown will create stress, get to the point, have a mature adult conversation and tell me how you're going to fix the problem. And then we're moving on to the next thing. I like that a lot. So let me ask you this question, going back to the building ancillary businesses. How do you guys see the, the trade-off between focus and building additional revenue streams, right? So we tell newbies all the time, right? If you're brand new, like pick something and focus on it. Stop bouncing around to a hundred different ideas. How do you gel that with trying to build other revenues. So it's like, it's like going back to the, the steel companies back in the day. What is your business need? How can you become more vertically integrated? They needed to buy the iron ore, right? So they didn't have to worry about the guy supplying them. So you want to control everything that's going in. So right now we need deal flow, right? So I think, how do I get more deal flow? Well, if I have brokers working for me, they're going out, I'm compensating them 3%. They don't got to worry about getting paid. And then if they bring the deal up, they can sell it. That's basically creating my supplies and everything I need in-house and taking it, right? So that's, that's one of the ways that we work on. We want to be vertically integrated and control the main you know, asset, you know, pieces to our business that are actually going to reduce costs and make the business more efficient. So regardless of what business you're in, you know, if, you're, if you're a baseball team, maybe you go out and you start manufacturing your own baseballs or something like that. That's just a silly example, but it's doing the things that you're going to control, keep your costs down, and make your business run more efficiently. And I think there's a, a strong thing to be said about partnerships. I, I think. I think partnerships are very, very important. He runs day-to-day operations of the property management company. I run day-to-day operations of the education company. So, and listen, you're going to bring an HVAC company. Maybe you bring on a partner on that business and split that revenue with that. So I think partnerships are really powerful. No one seems like a lot of people don't want to split, right? I'd rather have 50% of something great than 100% of nothing, right? And also the ability for us to talk day-to-day operations and, and gel, hey, Jake, what should we do with this podcast? Who should we invite on our podcast? Hey, Gino, what should we do with this, this tenant problem? So we have ideas and it's great because when you're not involved in a day to day, you can actually take an, a, what's the word? A less emotional view because higher emotions lead to lower intelligence. So I can look at it. I remember the first time we had a problem with one of our employees, this guy wanted to go out and kill a guy. No, I, I said, I said, listen, <laughs> I'm not dealing with it day for day. I have no emotions. I said, the guy stole some money from us. I said, if you're going to go after him, he's going to come back, throw a rock through our window. And there goes that. I said, just let it go. Let the thing pass. If I hadn't been there to buffer that, I think something might have sound like a meathead. Over here. Well, no, but, <laughs> no the, first time, the first time we had a problem with our employee, remember that meathead? I mean, it was just like, I'm glad I was there. I'm glad he was there to actually bounce it off and actually get, get perspective on it, right? And the same thing with me. Sometimes I might be talking to somebody on a day-to-day basis. I ask him the question and all of a sudden, 
that he'll say something like, wow, I didn't even think of that. So, I mean, I think partnerships are awesome. I, I love Here's I love Here's another example. We just bought 110 units from a guy who's a developer and, uh, you know, he's trying to look for his next project. And, you know, we haven't uh, built anything yet because the price per unit has not been attractive. I, we got about six acres by the lake over here and, uh, and we're looking, man, we'd really like to develop. I actually took that guy out there the other day and we're in talks now of starting like a small development crew, maybe building 100 units over there. So maybe that's another spoke. Again, maybe we own 25%, you know, 50% of the development end of it, but why not, right? Let's just, let's control every facet of our business. I know there's guys out there syndicating saying, I don't want to do property management. I don't want to do this. I'm not saying that's lazy, but there's more out there if you want it. If you want to sit back, syndicate a few deals and play Xbox, that's cool too. Um, it doesn't matter. It's really, real estate's about creating a life that you want to live. I just enjoy this stuff and I'm into it, man. You know, I'm like, I like get pumped up talking about it with you, but you know, it's, it's all what you want and the life that you want to create. So well, let's hear about some of these partnership ideas that you're talking about. I mean, that's something that's really interesting. How do you structure one of these partnerships? How do you pick a partner and how, you know, you, you, you just talked about using this for a variety yeah, of different so purposes. You gotta, you, Gino always says this, you have to have sort of the same goals and the same outlook in mind. Like, you know, he always goes and says, says like, if we wanted to fix and flip, but you want to do multifamily, that's not going to work, right? Because you guys, you, one guy's going to want to sell, one guy's going to want to hold. So I think it's, it's getting down and saying, what are your goals? What are you trying to achieve? And making sure your goals are aligned, but also not not starting a partnership with someone that's lazy if you're a high energy guy. Like if he was sitting around playing Xbox all day and I was out here hustling, I'd be like, dude, this this sucks. Why are you not you know, contributing? So I think it's 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 having a little bit of a relationship and, and a track record with somebody so you know, hey, this guy's either a rock star or he's a slug. You know, if you're a slug, partner with a slug. But if you're a rock star, partner with a rock star. And then, you know, and make sure the person's ethical. You don't want to be doing business where someone's cutting you checks and, and all of a sudden you're sh- showing up light every month, right? So it's, it's, it's making sure the attitude is there, making sure the goals are there, making sure it's a similar type of work ethic. And, you know, I think we share some similar, you know, kind of traits, but maybe there's things that he's good at that, that, I'm, that I'm not so good at and vice versa. And then we, we can, you know, that can become a synergistic effect. But Scott, I think more importantly, I think you have to like the person because you do business with the people you like yeah. and trust. So yeah. I, I, I mean, if you don't like the guy, you're going to the business, it's going to end. I, I'm telling you, it's, just gonna, it's not going to end well because that one little thing that he does is going to piss you off. So I think you do as you say and say as you do. When, you, when there's something to get done, I never say to him, I did this, see what I did. He never says I did. It's just, we just have responsibilities and we have goals and we want to reach our goals. And if you have a big enough why between the two of you, we both had a big enough why. We both wanted to have our own freedom. I wanted to be able to go down to Florida. He wanted to get out of his W-2 job. So that big enough why coupled with, you know, similar goals and coupled with liking each other and coupled with wanting to do business and coupled with the fact that I like his family, you know, I'm feeding his yeah, family. Well, we hang He's out, man. We go, we go on the, the So that's important. That, that, that's yeah. the important thing about partnerships. I think more than anything else, let's start with that. And then once that goes, what do you guys want to accomplish together? Start creating yeah. goals for each other. I love it. I have a million questions on this topic. By the way. Um, so first of all, so I, think, I think this sounds like you have uh, something in mind. Like you, you, you identifying somebody and you're like, what well, are you, what are you doing? What are you doing? Scott, what business well, you got in the hopper here, buddy? I, I, just got, I just got a lot of ideas, you know, a lot of ideas. <laughs> secrets. Trade coming on board. I think it's coming on board. <laughs> no, but suppose that I'm a new investor. Should I partner with someone who's super experienced or should I look for someone of about my level of wealth, career success or whatever? How's that work? Is, well, any- the first thing when you think about being a partner is I think most people don't consider from this way. What kind of value are you going to bring? You could be new, but if you have a lot of value, and that could be a lot of things. Do you have money? Do you have time to manage the property? Do you have a deal? Do you, you want to work your butt off? Those are all things of value. So if you're going to partner with an attorney who's working 82 hours a week, but just wants to make a 6% pref, and you have the time, the ability, and the deal, there's a lot of value. There's a trade-off there. So there's a, there's a marriage there. But if you're a newbie who's going to sit around and go, hey, you know, I got a deal. I want to... That's not going to work. So think about the go-giver says it best, right? 
You have to give more in value than what you're going to get back in currency. If you can do that in life, if I'm giving you this pen, it's worth a buck and you're going to give me, then you're all gold. If that's not the case, if you're not thinking about creating value for the other person, then the partnership's not going to work. I know when I started out with him that I had a lot more value to give him in the very beginning because I had the knowledge, I had the experience, I coached him, I mentored him. Um, he, in return, had a lot of value for me. He lived on the property. He lived right near. He was doing day-to-day operations. You know, what, what else? I mean, there's, there were so many things that he brought to the table also. We worked well together. He was in the grind. He was dealing with the people. So I think that's one way that, that that's why we were successful, I think. Were you, you guys, friends? Oh, go ahead, Brandon. Well, I was, gonna, I was just going to ask about family. Like, Go ahead and ask yours because yours is related to that. Were you friends before you began the partnership or was that? Not as much. He was more friendly with my brother. You know, he was a he was, Dude, he, was, he would stand in the back of the restaurant like this. For the guys, I got my arms crossed. <laughs> And he had big brother Gino in the back. No, I was like bagging this. the meat. I didn't have my arms crossed. He'd have his head up and, and he'd look around. And I'm like, dude, dude, what's up with your brother, bro? He's like, I just, you know. Marco was in the front, right? Dealing with the reps, you know, interacting, smiling. Gino was in the back, you know, with the, with the kitchen guy. So he'd pop his head out and he always looked like he was pissed off. So, you know, it took a little bit to, you know, to break down that barrier. But everyone knows that the G daddy's a sweet, sweet man, right? He's a nice guy. Yeah. Just a okay, saucy so- first impression. Go ahead. <laughs> I, you know, he's so, so intimidating, really. <laughs> what What do you guys think about partnering with family? Like, is that a good idea, bad idea? Do you recommend it, especially for newbies? I was a partnership with my brother for 20-something years. It, there's a trust factor there. So I know at the end of the day, money's there. So I had a trust factor. I had a relationship. I was the older, I was the older sibling. So I took care of a lot of the crap work, a lot of the grunt work. And after a while it got to me, that's one of the reasons why I got pushed out. I'm doing $15 an hour work when I should be doing a lot, much more work. And he's bouncing around talking to drug reps, going on barbecues. And and it became, you know, after a certain run, I thought I had more value to bring. So I have no problem. Just this, make sure everything is writing. You create your LLCs, you create your operating agreements. And it's not about giving money. It's about offering an opportunity. That's the, that's the bottom line. It's not, and if you take money from them, you have to have every single thing in writing. I have no problem with, with, with partnering with family. He, uh, he really. texted me last night with the 10 checks he got this month from the properties. So he's pretty happy because he's in on the deals with his friends. <laughs> yeah, and actually he's like, thanks bro. So the, so the guilt was I actually, while I was working at the restaurant, transitioned over. So did I have to bring my brother? No, but it was one of those things where I was in partnership with him so many years. I said, I have to do something. So it's sort of that guilt thing where I actually ended up getting out of it. And I want to pull him out because it's a tough business. The restaurant business is a very difficult grinding daily business if you allow it to be. And my hope for him is to get him to be financially free also. Awesome. Now I got a question for you about the structureship, the structure of these partnerships. And this is not don't, don't give legal advice to the users or anything like that. But how <laughs> possible anyway? Yeah. How do you guys structure it so that if one of you wants to leave in the future, that person can do so? What's what's the agreement there for that? The sword, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Lord the, the Lord of the Rings sword. Yeah, no, I mean, the, at the end of the day, the idea is stuff to get, and this is going back to the goal thing, right? So we have operating agreements, the stuff's all lined out. The ultimate goal is, so if one of us passes on, right, you, it goes to the family. So like, say something happens to Gino, his wife's just going to get checks every month, you know, on, on a residual basis. So that that's ultimately the goal is to, to pass it down the line. Could could we unwind the thing if we wanted to? Sure, you know, we could get a fair market appraisal, buy that person out for their, uh, you know, whatever, whatever their, you know, uh, their... Uh, equity is less than debt. And, and, and that's it. So we, could we do that? Yeah. I, I don't think anyone, you know, I, I'm not interested. I don't think your brother, I don't, you know, I don't want to do that. I say, Scott, what we do in our business, we try to create an LLC, an entity for every property we take over. We want to segregate our assets easier because it's great for bookkeeping. 
it's easier because if you want to refi the property, you have the numbers Getting there. with the agencies is way easier. Yeah, and every property can have its own operating agreement. So every operating agreement might be different. Jake might own 10% of one, he might own 42% of another. So it's very easy from that perspective to do that. And that's how you run your thing. And you have every operating agreement has their own set of rules. So that's how we do it. So you guys, so it's not like a master partnership for everything in a way. Every deal kind of stands alone. No, every Correct. deal kind of stands alone. Yes. I, that's smart because like, yeah, you might get in, in, yeah, you, yeah, you might get into bed with somebody that you don't actually find out after a deal or two that they just aren't pulling their weight. And it's a whole lot easier. Yes. Yeah. And you have protection. That's well, it's good. An operating <laughs> agreement, right? Uh, yes, exactly. Exactly. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, okay. You know, no one's confused here. <laughs> it sounds to me like the philosophy underlying your partnership though is, Hey, we plan to be in this forever. This is a, this yep. is a forever. We're going to pass it down to our heirs when that day comes. But we also have contingency factors in place in case that's, that, that doesn't happen. But the, but you know, it sounds to me like that's a really smart approach to partnerships in general is you plan on making it forever or is indefinite. And then, you know, we're married dude. having that option. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's almost like a marriage. Well, you know what it, it is. is. <clears throat> yeah. You always try to get, when you get into an asset, you get into an investment, try to think of the end game. What's the end game in mind? We always get into a deal, right? Into single family or multifamily. Why are you getting into the multifamily? Uh, we want to hold, we want to buy and hold because we, we do, we do the refis, we cost seg these things. So that's what our strategy is. So we want to do that. So that's how we structured our partnership. Another guy's partnership, maybe they're syndicating a deal. They're going to get into a partnership with another guy. Hey, listen, this is a three to five year hold. This is what we're doing. And that's this how they get paid. Out. That's why they're doing it, right? They're syndicating in three to five years. That guy's getting his big rip to sell it. We're just saying, we want to hold these things for long-term and everyone's like, well, you know, you're going to, you're going to get all your depreciation eventually. And you're not going to have anything left. That's why we keep buying more because as long as we keep buying, the tax party keeps going on. We buy a new asset. It's, it's passed through W2 taxes get wiped. So let's just, let's keep buying these things. Let's keep building. Let's keep growing. And the party goes on. And when we do our first syndication, that first syndication will also have that mindset in place. We'll be underwriting yeah, this we're not, for 10 years. We're not looking to sell. So if you want to invest with our company, we're in for plan, the long plan term. Plan on being in for the long and term. That's that's how we yeah. translate into that business. Also, can you explain? Can you explain? Because uh, this is a topic I don't think we've ever actually covered. Maybe a long time ago. What is it? And this is a super advanced strategy, sort of. But uh, you don't have to be an expert to do it. Cost segregation. What did you mean by cost seg? Yeah, yeah. Basically, uh, what, what is we're that? doing is is that we have this uh, this engineer come out. You know, going back to having great teams, right? And he's going to segregate all the, the the parts of the property, right? So the window has a certain depreciation life, the flooring, right? He segregates it all out on his schedule, and then it basically pushes the bulk of the depreciation down from twenty seven and a half years to say seven to ten years. So you're getting this huge swell of depreciation that's basically wipe, wiping out your taxes. And you go buy another one, you do the same thing, and you keep it going so that you you're getting these huge swells of depreciation. I have more than I can use right now, which is great. But, you know, maybe in five years, if I stop buying, it would run out. So that's, it's just a strategy, you know, especially works well for us that if we're holding that, you know, a simple book to read is Tom Wheelwright's book. Uh, the bridge that poor dad, he wrote a great book, uh, on, on accounting and what taxes are. Taxes are written to stimulate, to stimulate growth and to stimulate behavior. And cost segregation is one of those wonderful things that the government's done because they know they can't provide affordable housing. They're short every year and they're going to become shorter into the future. So what they do is they stimulate the economy, they stimulate real estate investors to get out there with one of these bonuses. And it's a wonderful thing. That's why attorneys, doctors, they want to get into these deals. People just focus on cash on cash return and they focus on those, those, those things and principal pay down. But this cost segregation is a huge component to uh, multifamily investing. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and the other thing is too, we went back and said, said we you know, brought investors on or something, we syndicated a deal. Our strategy has been refine roll. You know, basically we get into an apartment building that, that's, you know, the rents are under market. We, we rehab it a little bit, get the rents up. Then we just pull our money out. 
So it's not like you got your money tied up forever. You, you're getting the initial capital back and then you're staying in for some, you're continuing the cash flow, and you're rolling the money into your next deal. That's how we've, we've funded uh, you know, our 900 units up to this point. You know, we usually hear that, we, we call that on Run Bigger Pockets a lot, the Burr strategy where you buy a property, rehab it, yeah, rent it, refinance, pull your money out, repeat. We often hear it with like a single family or duplex, but I love to see that you guys are doing this on a larger scale. You're, you're repositioning apartment complex, you're burring apartment complexes to grow your wealth, get your money out and do it again and again and again. How long is your holding period on this? Are you holding them for that seven to 10 years while you, you know, that's, no, that's what I'm saying. We're yeah. never, we're holding them forever because forever. regardless, because okay. what happens is, you know, it's LLC pass through. So it all ends up, you know, it stops with me. Right. So, so say I fully depreciated that property. Well, since then I bought five more that, okay. that that's just wiping out the taxes. So, you know, that's why it's, that's why I said the party doesn't stop as long as you keep buying because you keep building up a swell depreciation. So I got an advanced math question here that may, I, I, hope, I hope everyone can follow here, but suppose you buy this property and it's not in very good shape. You raise the rents, you increase it, right? What you've done is you've increased the amount of net operating income, right? But you've also taken a poorly maintained property and created, turned it into a well operating one, which should reduce the cap rate that it would sell for on the open market. Is that, are you, is that, a fair assessment is that it depends what the market's doing. You know, if, if, if you look at now they're saying, well, this is a, you know, cause here's the thing. A lot of these asset classes, A, B, C, they, they, it's based on a lifespan. Like if it's like less than 10 years old as an A and, and so on and so on. So, so you could say, well, I took it from a C to a B. I hear that a lot. You yeah. know, I'm not some real estate wizard. Maybe that's true. And man, I don't want to get some like term definition thing. Cause these guys get pissing and complain about it. But say, <laughs> say it's a C plus and now you're calling it a B minus. Well, the cap rate on a B minus may be a little bit lower. So therefore not only did you increase the NO, why, but now it's being valued on a lower cap rate. Therefore, the, the value is higher. Does that make sense? Yes. So what I'm asking is, suppose you do that, wouldn't yeah. it, would it make more sense to sell 1031, exchange that into a low, a higher cap rate property back into a C property and repeat the cycle of turning it into- Dude, it's so hard finding these things to begin with, right? Finding the good okay. deal. Why are you letting that thing go? Refi it, take the money out and then go buy the other property, keep the tax breaks going. No, that's a great answer. Go ahead. Go. I don't, I don't know well, I was, well, I was going to jump in and say, I have a, I have a perfect story to back this up. So I sold my, all right. So I sold my 24 unit apartment complex last summer, right? So I got an offer out of the blue. Some guy wanted to buy it. So I sold it, but I had done a cost segregation study on it, right? Just like we talked about a minute ago. So I, I got this massive tax break, like a year and a half, two years ago, or whatever, when I did that cost segregation study, which was fantastic. But all of a sudden I had a, to sell my property, which means if you sell a property and you don't do a 1031 exchange, you now owe all the like back depreciation for everything you had taken, which means I wasn't like, I was going to make a profit of like 200 grand on, on this apartment. I was going to owe 130 grand in taxes if I sold. So I had 40, I don't know if you guys remember, like ever listened to the podcast, how freaking out I was, like how much I was freaking out over trying to find a deal. Cause I had to find a deal. Cause it was going to cost me 130 fine. grand. But see, I should have looking, I didn't realize how hot the market for, I thought I could find another sim and I did find one actually. I got it on day 45, I identified it, but like it was so hard to find it. So to back up your point, it's incredibly hard to find it. So yeah, you could get a better deal and you get lucky. Like I got a deal on day 45, but I had no guarantee. I could have lost 130 grand right then. So that answers my question then. The, the, the difficulty in executing that strategy is what is kind of the risk there because well, you guys don't want to like, sell anything either. Yeah. One yeah. of the things, Scott, I, yeah, I should, I probably shouldn't have, but no, but the, one of the things that people talk about 1031s is you have to identify, you have to close within six months. If the other side knows you're doing a 1031, there goes your yep. negotiation. And I know a lot of people 
would rather pay more for a property to save a few bucks on taxes. And that's what people are doing. They're overpaying. And that's yep. why there's sort of, I wouldn't say a bubble in multifamily, but there's a lot of 1031 money going on that has to get placed. And they've made these huge capital gains. So they're willing to pay another million bucks for a property to save 300 grand in taxes. That's what these guys are doing. I'm Unfortunately, a lot of people are doing that right now. So you can't compete with that. So look at the strategy, see if it's beneficial for you to do that. It might be beneficial, but there's a lot of moving parts going on. And we had, we had Matt Faircloth on our, on our, show uh, a couple weeks ago talking about how he got ripped off. You have to do proper. You have to get an intermediary. There's a lot of steps that you have to do to take it. So just don't say 1031s are great. They're great if you can execute them and you can find another deal and the deal gets done. So just you know, watch your steps and make sure that 1031 suck. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. I I would do it if I was selling. I'm just kidding. No, so so the 1031, I think where it comes really handy is let's say let's say I found a property right now that was an incredible deal. I go and put it under contract or get close to right. Now I go and sell my property to go buy that. Like there's yes. no yeah, yeah, but having so like what I did. Why you so I sold because I do exactly what Scott said. I brought mine up to the highest level I would ever probably get it. Max now it I maxed it out, and I wanted to start that process over to build some more equity. Uh, right, you know, let me I ask you a question though: that, Was your strategy to cash flow? Because if your strategy is to cash flow and you built it out to the maximum, and you're like, "Hey, I need four grand a month to live," maybe that might have been like, "Hey, I don't want to touch it. I've got the golden goose. That golden goose is laying me eggs." And so that might have been another strategy to look at if you didn't want to exit it out. So um, yeah, and it really comes out of what do you want? What are your goals? What are you looking for? True. And at that point, I wasn't looking. Like I didn't get a ton of cash flow for the equity I had. I knew I could get away. So I actually took the 24 and I turned it into 70 units. So now I'm getting real good cash flow off those so seven units, right? So, I mean, the, the other thing too is that we're in a, in a situation where we get really good cash flow in our market. We're, yeah. you know, Southeast, right? You know, you invest in the SEC. I always say that. If you're on the coast, sometimes, you know, they're buying these things like, you know, San Francisco, New York. It's kind of like a, a flip game, regardless if it's a, a, it's the housing or if it's you know, the apartment game. They're buying, trying to get the rents up and then flip it. So it's, it's a little bit more, uh, you know, of a different strategy and mindset, I think. So there, yeah. there's, you know, it's, if I was on the coast, I'd probably be doing the same thing, you know, yes, cool. go doors, well, by the way. Doors? What? Vanderbilt. Commodore. Oh, I, I, I didn't even know that was a thing. SEC, we're, we're, in, we're in Knoxville. We're in Knoxville. All right, my friend. So it's, it's, it's Jesus and then it's UT football. So you just got to take it easy, right? I don't want to the chair go, Hey, yeah, it sucks to be a Tennessee vault. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Moving, moving. On. I got one more. Oh, I got one more question before we head to the fire round. Uh, finding deals. It's a hot competitive market today. Uh, how are you finding deals today? You know, a lot of guys are out there and I think they're trying to make it rocket science or something that it's not. We just got a deal. It's a, it's a $4 million deal. We just were there a minute ago and we got it through a broker It never hit the market. They know we're closers. They know we're going to get it done. So we get deals brought to us and then we execute and we perform on them. Okay. A lot of these guys are not willing to kind of go out in the front end, build the relationships with the brokers. And you, if you have to get a few small deals done, let them know that you perform. And then, and then the next time it's a bigger one, maybe they're going to give you a whack at it because it's hard right now. A lot of deals deals that people are doing may never hit the market. May, you may never find out about them. You have to have the relationships. You can create a strategy where you're calling owners up and sending mailers out. We, we've never done it. I'm sure it works fine, but you know, five years later, we have over 50 million in multifamily now not using that strategy. So I think it's very important. Find the brokers in your area that are real multifamily brokers. You know, we get, we get some of these want to be sometimes showing us deals and things like that. And it's like a five cap and they're never going to sell this thing. All right. I mean, you know, there's a few good, probably five guys, you know, maybe 10 guys in your market that are really the guys that are moving the multifamily. And guess what? When you go out to lunch with them, 
pay for lunch. Yes, they're the salesman, but guess what? They're putting meat on your plate. You want yeah. to, you know, buy them a gift. We had a giftology guy the other day on the show. Be a good guy. Take them out. Do something cool for them. Let them know that you're going to perform when you, they bring you the deal. It's amazing, John Rowland. He had a great, yeah. great podcast. I love that whole thing. And it's so simple. Why is everyone giving gifts during Christmas? Give a, give a gift guide during March when you least expect it. And really make it a valuable gift. Make it something that stands out. Make it something, hey, if he's a Vanderbilt guy, he likes football, get him something for Vanderbilt football. Skies. <laughs> I never heard of them. Uh, no. <laughs> but you know, it's all about building rapport with somebody. It's all about building that trust with somebody. And you know what? When they send you a deal that stinks, get it over to them and say, listen, it's a five cap. I'm really trying to buy seven caps. Let them know what your parameters are and get back to them ASAP because they like that. Get back to them. Like Jake said, you know, once you're a closer and they know you're a closer. Yeah, they get you they a deal, analyze and get it back to them. Say, hey, I don't want to waste your time. This is not the one for me, but I've looked at it. This is what I think about it. I want to see the next I one. I love that. Yeah. I love that. That's that's such a good tip. And that's good for anybody. I mean, anybody doing large multi or even a single family house, your real estate agent sends you a deal. Tell them what you liked, what you didn't like about it. Give them that feedback and then wait for the next one to come. And like treat that, them like gold. These people yep, can yep. basically, you know, help you build an empire where you can retire in a few years. Yeah. That is your that is your source to the gold right there. Treat those people like gold. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, Man, so once so you have these deals, how are you funded them? Cash money, brother. We just said refine gold. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, no, no, I'll be a little more specific. I'm just, so we're, we're moving a lot more to the agencies, Freddie Mac, you know, we're getting agency debt on these things, but uh, you know, we're going in, we're, we're finding real opportunities. We're not, we're not getting deals that, you know, like a five, six cap, right? We're finding real opportunities. We're increasing the NOI. We're, we're refining the money out of them. I mean, you just said we refined about 7 million bucks over the last you know, X amount of years out of our deals and we repurposed it into, into our new acquisition. Scott, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll give you the case study of our first deal. Our first deal was a 25 unit deal. It was $600,000. 80% bank financing, 10% owner financing. We came up with 10%. Me, Jake, and my brother came up with $83,000 of closing. But 18 months later, we had gotten it up, was valued at $800,000. Now, on the terms, we went to community bank. We got a 20-year amortization, 5.5% interest rate. was killing us. And a five-year term. But we got that because the bank let us do owner financing. 18 months later, we refied out. We pulled out $160,000. Terms went down to 4.5% interest rate. 25 year am and a seven year term, a 10 year term. Mm-hmm. And so the great thing about it was our, our mortgage payments stayed the same because all of a sudden we got this better, we got a longer am, lower interest rate. So yep. when we pulled out 160 grand, we put in 80, we took out 160. That 160 rolled into our next deal. So what we did with our first set of refinances, we went from a community bank to another community bank. We rolled them out, we got better terms. On our second deal that I had spoken about, it was a 20 year AM, we got a three year term, guys. That stunk, but we were so desperate. Don't do that. Yeah, we were, <laughs> no. we were so desperate, and we knew that there was so much meat on the bone. They were doing 10 grand a month in revenue. We got it up to 18 grand within a year, so we were able wow. to leave. And can I chime wow. in here real quick and, and say, yes, hey, you're talking about a, the, the loan is going to come, the note's gonna come due in three years. That's when you say a three year term, just for That's right, it's, I'm sorry, exactly. It's gonna balloon in three years, but we knew within 12 months, we were gonna able to bring it to another bank and to refinance it out. I think we were just so thrilled to get it, you know, so that, that's what it came down to, a 20 year AM. So we refined the second property from community bank to another community bank, which went from 20 years amortization to 25 year amortization. We got a seven year term. Now the same deal here, Six months ago, we brought it to Freddie because actually we pulled out another hundred something thousand dollars on this property. We went to a 30 year amortization from a 25 year. We pulled out the money, three years of interest only. We got a 10 year term on this at four and a half percent. So the mortgage payment is more or less stayed the same from refining and refining and refining because the AM's gone out. Now the three years of interest only. Now within three years, principal is going to reset on this thing. But I think with the, with the 3% rate increases, 
going forward within three years, our income is going to be back up to where when the principal resets, it's going to like, so that's like, that's what we call the velocitization of money. We're actually becoming the bank. That's why banks are wealthy because we're using money. We're using phantom money that we've created, phantom value that we've created to velocitize it to buy the next deal. Now, listen, don't go out, don't spend the money, don't party. You have to be diligent. You have to use this money to repurpose it into another deal. He's got a sick Porsche. Don't listen to him. And uh, I see the dollars. <laughs> no, I'm, I was just thinking you got a 30-year mortgage on a, on a, on a, a multifamily from Freddie yeah, Mac. So it sounds awesome. like the goal here is to get something amazing. You can refinance they're all 30-year they're ends, but they're 10-year terms. They're locked okay. for 10 yeah. years. Still, still, that's, that's great. great. Yeah, but HUD, HUD's got a program. It's 35, 35-year fixed you know, that you can go and refi oh. on. And that, that's, wow. dude, that is, you know, we're, we really want to move a few of our properties over there simply because I think our biggest risk <laughs> in this point is interest rate risk in 10 years. So yep. if I can move, you know, half the debt over to a 35 year fixed loan, there, there's some stipulate, like they let you draw like every six months and there's some other things that, that are not cool and they take six months to it's do working it. working with the government. Yeah. It's but I mean, yeah. <laughs> you do one of these, that's why we're actually getting another assistant on to actually handle that paperwork. Because if you get over there, it's like, it's like boxing out playing defense, right? How do I, how do I stay in this for the long term? Getting something that's fixed for 35 years when, when interest rate risk is your biggest, you know, risk that you have, that's, that's what we're trying to do right so, now. So Scott, to pull it back from the very beginning, we had talked about that one little 25 unit property. What it actually did was we were able to refinance that out. We were able to make our mistakes, take our lumps. Hey, listen, we look back 20 year am five and a point above. We made a lot of those mistakes. That's why the we deal had, was a mistake, but it was the best mistake we ever, I mean, it had, it had septic fields on it, it had drug dealers it had naked dudes showing the thing thing. It was, it was, it was a disaster, okay. But if we wouldn't have done that, nothing else happens. That's yeah. why I'm saying you guys got to lean in, get yep. in, figure it out. Google what you're afraid of. Google will say it's okay. And you'll get past it and you can do it. I, I don't want to sound like a motivational crazy person, but I really do believe that. No, I, I, I love I it. I, I I've always thought that the problem, next problem for me with my business is going to be moving into these commercial properties and having these unfavorable loan terms. Cause right now I use conventional loans from Fannie Mae and you know, you know, and say 30 no. years, when they give you low. a 20 year term, say, no, I want a 25. When they give you a three year am say, no, I want 10 it's all and then negotiable. shop it with three to five different banks, but don't do the guys that are established. Get the community banks in your area that are hungry, looking to grow. You're going to be able to work with them and then just, Pit them against each other. Say, this guy's doing that. He's doing this. And then they start to you know, fight each other. We don't do that though. But I'm just saying you could and it would probably work, right? Scott, just think of money as being a commodity, right? Once, once something becomes a commodity, it trades at the base level and, and, and you know, spreads become really thin. And that's all money is. You can get money anywhere. Money's cheap right now. Money's not the problem. I think the deal is the problem right now. So you for you to deal. go and everything is negotiable. Every single thing. You start out with the highest rate at 10 years or 15 year term, and then you can work your way back down. So yeah, um, he was teaching me about like this uh, blockchain Bitcoin in the black side of the internet today. And I'm like, dude, I don't even get it. I mean, you know, things are going on there, right? So dude, it's happening. Uh, Bernie, awesome. How do you feel about Bitcoin? Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll hear you guys. Dude, it's an amazing technology. I mean, it is the decentralization. It is going to be what's happening, bro. Give it about 10 years. Everyone thinks it is a currency. It's not a currency. It's actually the technology. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait. I can't wait till banks have no control anymore. I just can't wait. I can't wait till everything's open source. I can't wait. I wish I'm, I hope, I'm, hope, I hope I'll be around for that. She is going to be here for a while. I hope so. <laughs> 
What do you think? All right. I, well, I, I, I won't get Brandon into it. Has I a just, video called Bitcoin is a stupid, horrible, terrible thing to invest in that has, it, it starts out that way. YouTube. Internet back in 89 started out that way. It started out that same way. Every technology starts out that way. And then 15 years later, we're like, wow. I have no idea that. what it is. So I don't have no comment. I just, that's remember. that. So that, that was my point is that nobody knows what it is. And yet people are like, I'm out of real estate. I'm going to go throw my money to Bitcoin when it was at like the peak. just don't understand the whole Yeah, that's what I'm Blockchain. That's what everyone. Yeah, it's blockchain, Brad. I'm like, no, it's called. Uh, yeah. Anyway, blockchain sounds like some kind of candy or something to eat. I got no idea what this. Is. <laughs> all right, all right. Let's. let's all right, we're moving on. Around here. It's time for the fire round. Now let's get to today's fire round. Of course, you can get to the. Uh, these questions are from the Bigger Pockets forums, which you can get to at biggerpockets.com slash forums. We're going to fire them at Jake and Gino here. See what you got to say. Number one. Let's see. Scrolling down here. All right. Number one. Uh, what is your best or do you have any good hacks as a landlord? Anything that you just found is kind of a hack as a landlord that works really well? No, I mean, I I think there's a lot of things. I think you want to find ways to create additional revenue streams within your business, whether you're doing rubs, whether you're doing a trash valet, whether you're you're, you're making money on your applications. There's so many ways to make money that's not just on the rent. And it's, this is not like feeding people to death. You know, he gave me like this book, the, the, the fee Bible or something like, it's not about that, but it's when you're providing services. Knoxville is a huge town for animals. We have our multifamily units in Knoxville. We are super pet friendly, but look, Pets got to pay too. Doggy's got to yep. pay the rent. Okay. So <laughs> in, we make some money on doggy. Okay. So I think it's, it's finding additional revenue streams within your business and then building additional revenue streams outside of your business to support your business. So Brandon, the other thing I did was I, I wrote a tenant guide and I wrote, I wrote a moving guide. So if you go to our uh, website, uh, brand property management, our management website, you can go on there. Tenants can download that. So I wrote it for them. So it's always about creating value for tenants. I mean, was it a pain in the ass? Yeah. And the reason why I wrote the moving guide is I actually moved. So when I went to move six months ago, I was like, I don't know where to start. So I actually started building it out. So it's just a way to alleviate and to help the tenant out. Always think about ask, creating problems, creating solutions for their problems. I had a big pain point, didn't know how to move and ended up doing that. You should you should create a little ancillary business and sell that thing to other landlords for like nine bucks on your website. This is a great idea. That is right. Ex- and and you can pay your rent on the website. So folks who are listening, don't forget to pay your rent on the website. You <laughs> there know, you go. <laughs> and that, that's the, that's as tech as I get right there. Okay, I don't know the blockchain, but I know we can pay online. So there you go. All right, good. I like that. I really like that a lot. That's cool. What is the uh, best flooring? What's your go-to flooring for your rentals? We love the vinyl. Okay. We go vinyl everywhere. You know, we, on the second floor, we still go carpet because of the pad, blah, blah, blah. If there's spandex, you know, that, that the, the concrete stuff, we will go with vinyl. But, uh, you know, I said before, the only things we really sub out, we got a company that does all of our flooring. They do all of our paint. They do it for a very affordable price. So we have like, uh, you know, I think there's like a tawny oak and like this gray stuff. And, and the ladies that work for us are really great at designing and putting nice things together. So I let them run with it. They're good at it. I'm not. They put it together, but we're so we keep it simple. We got, you know, a good price for vinyl flooring. We're C-class properties, so that's what we use in our properties. So we fancy, though. We fancy. All right, good. Uh, <laughs> number three, I'm young, self-employed, and I have ha- and I have huge cash reserves. In I live in Southern California. What would what would you do if you were in my position? Get the hell out. Get the <laughs> hell out. What are you doing there? Someone told me it's like ten to thirteen percent state income tax. Get out of there, man. You're nuts. No, but seriously, get good out. Answer. <laughs> you're just you just getting raped okay you get pushed over the table and it hurts okay so get out number one if you want to get in a multifamily, which you should 
get out of there, go someplace nice, like live next to my boy, the G daddy, go buy a 150 unit complex, put a great team in place, make it happen. And, uh, you know, it's still a nice beach in Jackson. You can go to Tampa too. That would be cool. Well, you know, you know what, <clears throat> what are your goals? I mean, you got to see yourself employed. Do you want to stay self-employed or do you want to have real estate, you know, become your full-time business? That's the first thing I think you should end up doing. Second thing is educate, educate, educate. A man with money meets a man with experience. The man with the experience gets the money and the man with the money gets the experience. Always remember that guys. <laughs> so like that. Become educated, educate yourself. It's all about responsibility. So know what you want to do with that money. I mean, the richest man in Babylon, best book ever written, easiest book you could ever read. 10% of your income. Don't go into business with dirt bags. Basically only trust people. You know, you're not going to get a shield guy to go do glass beads and make, make, go diamonds and jewelry. Get somebody who's a multifamily syndicator. Learn the ropes from him if that's what you want to get into. If you want to go into the single family space, rock it with Jay, you know, Jay Scott, whoever it is. Learn from somebody who's doing it. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Go copy somebody who's doing it. Go learn from somebody who's doing it if that's what you want to do. And if you come work for us, you get hour-long sessions of this during our financial training meeting. Can you imagine? <laughs> this shit is I, don't, gold, I don't know about that. All right. I love very, it. I love it. Very serious and difficult final question here, which is tenants are complaining of paranormal activity. How should I handle it? <laughs> Blockchain. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen, it's all about it's all about, you know, having a customer, you know, focused attitude, right? We want to become the Chick-fil-A of apartments, right? Chick-fil-A, they go in, they say thank you, they they really appreciate you. It just depends how busy the office is that day, right? But if we could, hey. Tell us about that. What's going on with the paranormal activity? We're here for you, right? Customer first. We believe that renting is personal and our residents are our number one priority. Okay. That's us. We're those guys. If we can go, we'll, we'll look for the alien with you. We'll, we'll make you feel good about it. You know, maybe, maybe we'll uh, put a camera up or something so we can catch the alien and shoot it. Okay. I don't know, but we're going to try to be there for you and make sure that, you know, you're feeling like you're being taken care of. That's number one. On a more serious note, dude, on a more serious, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blast the alien. Maybe it's not the alien. Maybe they just want to come in and complain about something else. Objections and complaints are really good because then you know what the real problem is. So you always want to find the problem. You always want to listen to people's objections and complaints because if they're objecting about something, whether you're selling them something, that's good because they're interested in it. So they're interested in your property. Go figure out what they're really talking about and try to solve Oh, so it's problem. at a deeper level. Life coach, <laughs> folks. No. Well, are you ethically required to disclose a haunting, do you think? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't, I don't, I don't think, think so. I don't think so. <laughs> I can ask HR. We got HR in the house. You do that. This is actually my it's question. A, haunting, wait, you, oh, I thought you were talking aliens. You're talking like, uh, like it, like well, a clown is killing people, right? Yeah. It, like could be, it could be either, but yeah. Or what was yeah, that? A ghost. Blair Witch, yeah. Blair haunting. I don't know. It could happen. Okay. All right. We're moving on. All right. <laughs> All right. Let's head to the last segment of the show, which we call our Famous Four. All right, this is time for the Famous Four. These are the same four questions we ask every guest every week. We've asked you guys it before when you were on the show last time, but we'll ask it again now in case it's changed. Number one, each of you, do you have a favorite real estate, specifically real estate related book? A couple books. That's not your own. That's not your own. Because I know you wrote one, right? No, you said Ken McElroy. You... Oh, okay. I love Ken McElroy's books. ABC's Real Estate Investing. Uh, I do too. This guy's property management. Breaks yeah. it down. Really simple. And he's done it. I, we had him on the show. He's got 10,000 units. He's syndicated. He makes it really easy for guys. I, I love the books. I think they're awesome. Got to go yep. with my boy, Fixer J. It's the only, one and only I've really ever read. So my boy, <laughs> Fixer J, to see him, I'm sure I said the same thing last time. <laughs> he's got some good books. I, I also read some of, yeah, I do like Fixer J. All right. Uh, Scott. What is your question. favorite business-related book? Not doesn't have to be real estate. 
I always go back to this. Atlas Shrugged was the most impactful book that I've ever read. I think it's, I think it's business related. I said it before. It's all up here in your head, right? So you get your, get your mind right, be objective, and, uh, and, uh, and give me some mind ran all day. I don't know if it's business related. I just like Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. I mean, it's basically every guru stolen from Napoleon, guy who, yeah. you know, gone out for 25 years and, and he was actually talking to all the guys who are rich, positioning himself and actually educating himself and knows about the rich and all those steps. I, I love the book. I think it's awesome. All right. Number three, Trench. What are your favorite hobbies? What do you guys do for fun? Hmm. We build businesses, man. We really enjoy it. But uh, no, like he came down with the family this year. There's a flood in Florida. We went out in the lake. We were doing paddle boarding. You know, I don't know. We just, we just like to kick back, spend time with the fam and, uh, you know, pretty easy. Keep it simple. I got, well, hold on. So something that I'm working on right now, I said before, you may hear the grinding in the background, Bought this really awesome, somewhat distressed, you know, three acre house on the lake last year. And we got all these trees around us. So we're clearing up all these trees, doing beautiful landscaping. And uh, I'm really, really enjoying that right now. So I got a rehab going on that I don't plan on selling. Awesome. Nice. 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 All right. Last question. What do you guys believe sets apart successful real estate investors from all those who give up, fail, or never get started? Well, real easy. It's giving up. I mean, it's, it's giving up and it's actually, you know, highlighting why you want to get into it and, and also your goals and strategies and the techniques. I mean, just learn them. If you want to get into multifamily, please just focus on multifamily. Don't be jumping around to fix and flip. Now, I understand in the very beginning, you might need to do wholesaling and fixing and flipping to build up the cash reserve, but ultimately that's a drug. I mean, transactions are not going to create wealth. Equities and create wealth. And then you get caught in a, in a transaction grind where you're, where you're not, you're just doing one, that, one to the next, to the next, to the next. Focus on what you really want to, what you really want to try to accomplish. You know, going back to it, you got to work your ass off, lean in and, uh, and make it happen. I mean, I know it's like way oversimplified, but don't quit, work your butt off and, and you can figure this stuff out. It's not rocket science. You know, we talked about the, the buy right, manage right, finance right earlier. There's, there's frameworks out there. There's, there's, there's a lot of education out there. So if you're willing to put the work in, you're willing to work past your nine to five, if you need to, you're going to figure it out. It took us about a year and a half and then, you know, things really took off for us. So, you know, we're, we're not the, like the smartest two guys by any means. We just have serious blue collar work ethic and we're willing to do it. So if you're willing to do it, you know, lean into it, you're going to, I think you're going to be successful. All right. Uh, I shouldn't even have graduated high school. I think they just pushed me through. (laughs) Good. good. I I can't read. I can barely write, you know, so. Well, do you have a uh, website or anything like that where people can find out more about you? Yeah, we got, we got a few websites. We got, uh, we got jakeandgino.com, which is really, really awesome. We got uh, randpropertymanagement.com. We got randpartnersllc.com. We're trying to contain everything into those three sites right there. And our podcast is freaking awesome, man. Can I say that? I don't know. You can put that man. I've, I've been on, I've been on it. It's good. Oh, People balling. should listen. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much. It's been awesome. And uh, we'll see you around. Bye guys. Thanks. Bye. Thanks. All right. And that was an interview with Jake and Gino. That was awesome uh, because those guys are where I want to be. Like I want to, I want to move towards uh, what they're doing more and more. And uh, I love picking people's brain like that. Yeah, I think I think it was fantastic. They have a, a ton of great perspective on there. They've clearly thought through their strategy from a very high level, yeah. and they're like, "Hey, I'm gonna we're gonna do all these different things to increase our odds of success with all these ancillary, uh, Ans, ancillary, 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 maybe ancillary, ancillary, yeah. Somebody hit up Scott on Twitter at Scott at BP. Is that your Twitter? Uh, I think it's at Scott Trench BP. Yeah. Ah, okay. Well, whatever it is, hit him up on on Twitter and let him know how to pronounce it. I don't know how you do that over Twitter, but we're going to do yeah, it. Yeah, tell me how you pronounce ancillary. Is it ancillary or ancillary? Oh. Ancillary. And so, anyway, anyway, solid show. 
solid guy, solid dude. So uh, check out their podcast. It's good. And yeah, if you guys want to learn more about multifamily investing, we got a lot of information all over Bigger Pockets, all about it. Uh, use that search bar, like we said in the quick tip, type in multifamily, apartment complex, whatever, you're going to find more information than you could ever read in a lifetime. So anyway, Scott, didn't you get hurt the other day? Or was that an old picture I saw that you sent to me and Josh? No, no. Josh likes to, every once in a while, circle around the, the picture of my oh. fresh eye wound from rugby. Okay. We got this. All right. Because I was going to say, I'm looking at you right now and you look fine. And I was like, wait a second. I saw a picture of you. No, I got the scars, but they're, yeah, no, no fresh Good. wounds. Chicks dig scars. Yeah. It's a great. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's get out of here. You want to take us out? All right. Uh... How do I take us out? I don't know what I'm doing. Hold on. I haven't done this in a while. <laughs> no, I think Dave should leave this in here. This is great. No. You're going to say, you're uh, gonna say from, this? From the Bigger Pockets podcast, <laughs> this is Scott Trench signing off. That was the best ending ever. <laughs> you're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom and the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com deals and enter a few details about what and where you want to buy and bam, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com deals. That's biggerpockets.com deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.